Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Time flies. Like, I can't believe how long I've been abroad and the things that have happened. So it's, it's just important to live in the moment. So have your goals and direction you're heading in, but then enjoy the present moment because you never know when it's going to end. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Now listen to the Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name is Coach Yas, a UEFA A licensed, FA Advanced Youth Award and FA Goalkeeper B licensed coach. With over 10 years of experience working in youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League academies. I'm currently operating as an affiliate tutor for the FA alongside working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching. Today I'm going to be joined by my co-host and the Coaches Network Analysis Specialist, Coach Ben. Ben is a UEFA A licensed coach who holds the FA Youth Award and a Masters in Sports Coaching, with 10 years of experience including working across the male and female youth development pathways, alongside a vast experience on individual, player and team performance analysis. And as part of our Insight series, we'll be joined by a range of individuals working across multiple disciplines within the coaching world in order to explore their journeys and dig deeper into their experiences so that we can leave you with some golden nuggets to help you reach your full potential. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yes, and today I'm joined by a very special guest. I've got Blaine McKenna with me. Blaine is a UEFA A licensed coach, travelled the world um, and experienced many different roles across, across that time as well. Good morning, Blaine. How are you? I'm good, yes, how are we doing? Yeah, fine, thank you very much. Thank you for being with me this morning. Um, well, it's a pleasure, pleasure to be here. Um, Blaine, look, I don't want to waste any time, I want to get straight into it. Um, would you mind going into a bit of detail about who you are, where you've come from, what you've been through throughout your journey, where it actually started from? Okay, so basically love football from as young as I could walk. I've been kicking things, anything that moves, played through my youth, youth career, then decided that wasn't going to make it professional at a good level. So I went down an academic route, did a sports science degree, master's degree in sports psychology. And during my studies, I was able to coach abroad in America and summer and Canada during the summer. So that kind of kick-started, that made me aware that coaching was kind of a real career as a path that I can go down. So a couple of days after presenting my master's research, I flew out to Kuwait to work for Arsenal Soccer School. And then from there, I've been in China, Dubai, New Zealand, Singapore, Thailand, Malawi, South Africa. So I've kind of been been around a bit, experienced different cultures, and it's kind of taken me up to where I am today in, in Thailand. Brilliant. And so, you know, just you talk there about, you know, going through your master's degree and whatnot. What was it about coaching that got your caught your eye, I guess? 
Um, well, basically, I wasn't great in school when I was younger. But when I started studying sports science and things, when it was linked to sport and it was linked to coaching, that's kind of where I got my buzz from. Because football was kind of the only thing I ever knew. So it was logically the thing that I was going to go into career-wise. And I did work experience when I was 15 with the Irish Football Association. And I basically sat through a level one course and saw that it is a real career. And then I saw the opportunities that were available in Canada and America. So that kind of just was a, it's basically the only choice for me. Like just kind of all I've ever known. So it was kind of a natural, the natural choice for me to progress in my career. Mm. You talked there about, you know, going on to your level one and obviously seeing straight away that there was a career path to be developed uh, and a journey to go down. You know, not a lot of a lot of coaches going into level one qualifications maybe don't quite see it that way. Uh, a lot of coaches have, you know, gone into that because it's, you know, a, a passion for the game, you know, similar to what you said, they realised that maybe they weren't going to necessarily make a, a career out of playing or in some cases just parents stepping into the coaching world because maybe their children are getting involved. What you know? What took you into that level one pathway in the first place? Obviously, well, for me, I, not necessarily making it as a player or deciding level. Why? Why did you decide to go and do that level one? Yeah, because I saw that was kind of the career path I wanted to go down. So I set myself goals when I went to university of exactly the type of qualifications and things that I wanted. By the time I finished my degree, that would put me in the place to get the kind of jobs and roles I was looking for. And especially as I wanted to coach abroad, that would kind of separate me from other people as well. Because if you want to get jobs abroad, you have to be kind of have a different skill set to the people that are already in those countries. So you have to kind of differentiate yourself. So that was kind of, I just saw it as the career path I needed to go down. And I knew what I needed to do to get there. And goal setting has kind of been key for me with that. It's been massive in my journey. Brilliant. Just on that, you need to talk there about goal setting. So, you know, going back to, you know, when, when did you start your coaching journey then? Um, I started coaching, I think, in my first session, I was like 15. So it's been been going for a while. So and the goals have changed. Things have changed over time as well. But in terms of goal setting, when I was doing my when I was doing my degree and things, I'd even like print out pictures of the countries I wanted to coach in. I'd print out pictures of coaches who kind of inspired me. So I kind of I'm looking at these pictures in the countries I want to be in and people in the roles I want to get to. And even just seeing those pictures was kind of inspiration in itself. And then in mm-hmm. terms of doing the courses and things, that was kind of the pathway. I needed to go down the step up the ladder to get myself into the position I needed to be. Brilliant. So what, what year are we in now then, taking your level? Um, I did it when I was 16. So maybe like 12, 12, 13 years ago. So about 12, 13 years ago, you're sitting there taking your level one. Now, yeah. Where did you end up after this? You finished the level one, uh, you know, and I'm assuming this was back in Ireland, is it? Yeah, so I was doing that. Then I started coaching when I was in sixth form. I started coaching in the school I was in. And then after doing my level one, I went straight on to my level two the year after. So when I started coaching in some of the Irish league clubs that I was playing in at the time. So I was coaching alongside my playing. And I was playing at a decent level. So that was giving me access to kind of good coaches and good players, which is really important for my development as well. Definitely, you know, obviously stepping into coaching realm at that, that sort of stage, level one, level two, um, you know, you're still almost maybe finding out about yourself, finding out what kind of coach you're going to become. And you know, what, what, what did that look like at the start? And, you know, how has that de- developed and evolved over the last 12, 13 years? Yeah, well, I suppose when you start out, like, you're kind of influenced by the experiences you've had, the type of coaches and things you've worked under. And I was very fortunate. The coaches I had were very much into like playing possession football, 
all the exercises involved the ball. It was a small set of games and things. So I was quite fortunate in terms of the upbringing that I had. And that kind of transformed into kind of the coach I became. And the guys I was working alongside, it was the, the people that were coaching me. They're the people I first started coaching with. And then since I moved abroad, I kind of, things changed a little bit in terms of understanding the rural culture. Because Ireland and Northern Ireland, UK was kind of, the only culture I'd ever known. So stepping out into the Middle East and seeing how things are, stepping out into China, Thailand, New Zealand, Singapore, that's made me understand that the role of development in terms of players and then also the pathways for players as well, the opportunities. So that's kind of changed the way I see things. So obviously cultural understanding is a massive part of it. And then doing my master's degree in sports psychology and seeing the way things are going in terms of leadership in the game of basically making it sort of person-centred, need-centred approach, looking at individuals. So that's kind of developed over time, whereas before, at the beginning, it was more about the X's and O's, how I can set up teams. I was drawing diagrams of where I wanted players to be when the ball's in certain parts of the field. And that's obviously that's still important in things of certain aspects in terms of embedding a, a game model and things, but it's more about trying to get the best from individuals. And that's kind of the path I'm going down at the minute. Like, for example, I work with some head coaches, national team head coaches, head coaches from professional clubs, professional players. And those kind of one-to-one sessions, getting inside of the head of the players, understanding what their biggest fears are, understanding what the things are hinting. So you talk there about, obviously, you know, developing an understanding of the different cultures. And, you know, and obviously going from what might be a traditionally exposure to the UK environment, going over to, you know, overseas to the Middle East and whatnot. What were some of the, I guess, major eye-openers for you then? Because, you know, these are completely different culture um both in terms of just generally as well as not not football specifically what were the you know the key openness for you and that you know really took you back and made you was at any point in that first step across you know the seas that you thought well i've really got to take a step back and think about how i'm going to approach this one yeah well, i've had that i've had that quite a few times you land in different countries but then you become a bit more sort of culturally intelligent about different different places but I suppose Thailand's the best examples I can give in terms of that. So I come in initially, I was coming to a professional football club as the academy director, and I was the youngest person on the staff. And the AIDS hierarchy in Thailand and across Asia is massive. So that's a big difficulty in itself, because typically what happens is if someone's older than you, whatever they tell you is gospel, and you take it as that. You never kind of ask questions of them. You kind of just take it on board. So that's a big, big issue as well. And then there's a hierarchical culture as well. So if someone's above you in the hierarchy of a company or a club, then it's very, very rare that the person is going to be honest with you. So you go and have conversations with them and things, ask them how they're getting on, how things are going. And they'll always say, yes, yes, great. Yes, yes, great. But then behind your back, they might be sort of sticking a knife into you when they're talking to other people. So that's, that's quite difficult to learn that lesson. And then there's other things such as saving face. So a coach said something to one of our players and I said to him through my translator, just one voice, please. Like I said it really nicely just because I thought he could be giving mixed messages because he didn't work with the team on something that we've been working on all week. And then he never spoke to me again because he lost face in front of the players. So those are just a few examples. And a lot of the time you have to learn the hard way because I'm landing in certain countries. I don't understand football there. I don't understand how things work. And... I can't just come in and rip everything up and say this is my way or the highway because I'd lose everyone. If I had gone in and done the things that I wanted to in certain countries, I would have lost all the players. I would have lost all the parents. 
and it would have made my life very, very difficult. So you have to be culturally aware and intelligent when you come into different countries. Otherwise, you won't last very long. Mm. So, you know, that, that going through that experience there, you know, that it, straight away, you know, you almost overstep some cultural boundaries that, you know, that you probably weren't anticipating initially. Can you bounce back from that? You know, obviously you said the guy never spoke to you again after that. How did that impact you and the rest of the staff? Yeah, that was that was very difficult because that, that person had quite a bit of influence amongst the other coaches. And mm. when I first went in, I inherited quite a bad a bad moment for the club. The president's son had made a lot of mistakes and he hired a foreigner just to try and fix everything. And as we know in youth football and football generally, there's no such thing as a quick fix. So my first eight months at the club were very, very difficult, the hardest moment in my career. Like I had some days, I just didn't know how I can get out of bed and then fight back. But essentially what we did was when we arrived, like the players were in all the wrong age groups because the president's son had an agreement with another club to get some of their players in for the Thai Youth League. So we're playing in the top top competition in Thailand. And then the coach did something the president's son didn't like. So he chopped the coach and then those players left. So then what he decided to do was he decided to push the 15-year-olds up into the U17s. And my first game when I arrived in the country, we're playing Buriram United. They're the biggest club in Thailand. They recruit. They have recruitment days all around the country. Thousands of kids turn up. They bring in the best ones. They bring them in. They house them. They educate them together. They train every day. And we were going in. We were we were in Ubon, which is a it's a small area near Laos and Cambodia. So it's basically in the countryside. We didn't have accommodation facilities. We could only recruit the best players within our region. So we had the best 15-year-olds within our region competing against the best 17-year-olds from across the country. So initially, because results weren't good, because of that imbalance, then it was hard to get people on board. So what I had to do was I had to get through that period because you couldn't bring new players in. So I just had to try and try and get through that period as best I could. And I managed to see it through. The president's son, was I had him on board because he was raised in New Zealand, which is a thing that helped me massively. So he wasn't fully on board and understanding of the Thai culture. So I feel that if he had been fully ingrained within that culture, I might not have survived. But I was able to see through that season. And basically what I had to do was I had to get rid of all the coaches. I brought new ones in. I set the bar high from day one because initially these coaches were doing whatever they wanted because the president's son was running things. So they didn't have to plan sessions. They didn't have to do their jobs properly. Whereas these young foreigners coming in, making them plan sessions, making them do different aspects, CPD, that coaches are typically required to do. And they didn't like it very much. So I basically had to get rid of them. I brought new coaches in, set the bar high from day one, got all the players into the right age group. So in the second season, we were winning games, we were competitive in games. So they're seeing that the way we're trying to approach things was working. And then the coaches bought in because the bar was set from that standard from day one. And they're kind of loyal to me because I gave them the job as well. So like initially, that was a very, very, that was the most difficult moment of my career. I didn't see, I couldn't see light at the end of a tunnel sometimes, but you just kind of got to keep pushing through. And we were able to overcome it. And in the end, we were able to succeed. And that's, that's probably one of my greatest, greatest achievements, not just from a footballing perspective as well, but like we were able to initiate things on road safety. Three of our players out in the hospital in one week, motorbike accidents. We were able to give these kids scholarships to get go to university because these kids had nothing like the background they're coming from they had nothing we were able to initiate coach education programs in the place in in Ubon when there'd been no national coaching education there before because it's so far out 
basically football only kind of exists in Bangkok in terms of courses and things. And then we were able to set up programs in the schools too. So like, it was a very, very challenging in terms of what I inherited and the culture. But then eventually when you see things through and you stay true to your beliefs, then we were able to come out the other side and, and did quite a good job. Mm. You know, you talk there about some of the professional aspects to it, but you know, there is a, there's a deeper element to this and it's a personal thing. You know, obviously going over to a different country and having done that time after time, it, it, it can take a toll on you, especially when things aren't going your way. How was it getting through that stuff personally, you know, in terms of your mental health and things like that? Yeah, that was, that was very, very, very difficult, um, especially in Ubon as well, because there's no foreigners there. No one speaks English. When they see a foreigner, they take pictures of you. I'd have people follow me around, like taking pictures of me. I'd have people turn up at where I lived. It was a, it was a really surreal experience. And because I was so stressed, like I don't drink. Like I very, I have not a drink this year. Basically, I don't go out. I don't party much. But on Sunday, I'd go out with the president's son, and we just have a few drinks just to relax and unwind. We go to a nightclub. I generally never do that. But that was a coping mechanism for me. Just on Sundays, I just had to go and do that, and that's the only kind of mm-hmm. period in my life where I've kind of used alcohol is an escape and hopefully it's I never have to go to that again but that was just something that got me through short short term but yeah it was it's really really difficult like my days off I'd be alone not one of the players spoke English I'd only have my translator I'd fly to Bangkok on my days off sometimes just to get away and speak to someone who spoke English and hang out with people because it was it was really really difficult but like it's such a meaningful experience it's it's had such a massive impact in my life and it's it was something that was really worth enduring, but there were times when it was it was dark and it was very very difficult. Mm. You know, just you know, you, you touched there right at the start of the conversation about you know working across a few different countries. You've been out in the Middle East, you've been in Thailand. Let's just go into a bit of detail around some of the other places you, you you've been able to explore. Yeah, so Singapore, Singapore is an interesting one because it's quite it's not far away from Thailand, but things are quite quite different there because they're. They're very much on the business side there. So the education system in Singapore is really good. So the aspiration isn't quite there for footballers as much. Whereas in Thailand, kind of football is everything. They need to kind of make it to to get by if they're families. Whereas in Singapore, you can kind of get a good education. You can go on and do different things. So yeah, it's an in- interesting one about the differences in countries that are quite, quite close by. And then China as well. Like China was an interesting one because basketball played such a big influence there. So kids would be bouncing balls and things during water breaks. And it was quite, quite different, especially because they have that, the plan the president brought in. So they're bringing football into schools and trying to grow things like that. So it's, it's interesting to see how all these different countries kind of operate. They're not massively far away from one another. The cultures are kind of similar, but football looks so different in, in every country. And then in terms of Malawi as well, Malawi is a really eye-opening experience. So it's, mm. it was one of the poorest countries in the world. I think in 2015, uh, the World Bank said it was the poorest, one of the poorest countries in the world per capita. Uh, I was going to classrooms there in schools, and there'd be a hundred kids sitting on the floor, and if they couldn't afford a pen and paper, well, sorry, a pencil and paper or anything, then they wouldn't have it because the school couldn't provide it. And there's a ridiculously small number graduate from high school. So what we were doing there was, you go around the country, you'd recruit, you do, you host trials, and you bring the kids in, the best kids in, you give them education. You give them food, you give them football bits. And some of the developmental things you're experiencing there, like we asked the kids like how you felt after the trial, and one of them said they felt really heavy. And I was like, what are you talking about? And it's, they'd never played in football bits before. They'd only played in bare feet. They'd never been so well fed before playing. 
they'd never left their hometowns before and they'd never played on grass. And you could see in some of the documents that the, the age had been changed, the, the date of birth had been changed to try and make them appear younger because this opportunity would be life-changing for them. So, yeah, it's, it's incredible when you get out there and see what's going on in the football world and countries close to each other or have such big differences. And then you go to places like Africa where it's a different world again. It's just, yeah, it's really eye-opening. Mm. So, you know, just along that journey then, you know, you, you, you talk there about some of the countries that you've kind of had experiences in. What would you say, you know, your roles have taught you about leading others? I know you've already experienced of, you know, working in the, working across these different cultures and obviously, you know, experience of going through your masters in sports psychology as well. What would you say are some of the key things that you've kind of picked up around how to manage and deal with the differences and how to lead these people? Yeah, well, the first thing is understanding the cultures or taking the time to understand how things work, because if you don't get that right, you can lose people immediately. So understanding how the culture works, trying to speak the language as well. If you can just have a conversation and build a bit of rapport with people. But the key thing is, again, like it comes back to, it's just about understanding the person, like what they respond best to in terms of personality. Like are they open to new ideas? Do they get things done when they say they're going to? How do they respond to certain types of feedback? And then looking at what the, kind of their goals are as well, because that's kind of a difficulty when you go to some countries. Like the coaches don't have aspiration and goals, so it can be a bit difficult to drive them sometimes. And sometimes they're only really incentivized by financial rewards, which obviously isn't ideal in terms of developing things sometimes. And then understanding the kind of story and the journey that they've been on to get to where they are, understanding their family backgrounds and kind of where their skill set lies as well and the kind of areas they're looking to to develop where they need to develop if any so it's it's kind of just understanding understanding the person and then putting this a vision in place in terms of if you're part of this project this is something that can lead to in the future like we were trying to set up programs and projects in Ubon which made a real difference in the community and then obviously we had a professional football club there which is only one for quite quite a distance then in the top flight so that was something that we're using to inspire people as well but coming to watch Thai league games and things so it's kind of painting a picture for the future that excites them and then putting structures and strategies in place that work because then that gets the buy-in because if what you're doing isn't working in their eyes then it's not going to it's not going to benefit both parties and you're not going to last very long mm. you know so just kind of follow up on that then you know having gone through various different countries you know you talked about how it's important for you to maybe get to know the person or the individual before you can kind of really have real impact on them um, bouncing from country to country, not really, I guess, having a, a, a real extended period of being able to settle down too much in, in that process. Just interested to know whether you had any sort of uh, mentors or major influences in that respect um, that you kind of maybe took something from and what, what, were the, what were the biggest lessons you kind of took from those people? Yeah, it was interesting because I came across a Japanese coach and typically when you're coming through coach education and you hear about different ideas and things, Typically, everyone's very focused on a curriculum. So working from a curriculum, week one, we do this, week two, we do this, week three, we do that. Whereas he kind of flipped it in the reverse. So he was very kind of reactive. So he was looking at what he saw in front of him. I'm not always reactive, but he was, he was looking at what he saw in front of him as that was his guide to how, how he set the curriculum or what they're working towards. So it was very much in the moment, working from the last game. So that was quite interesting in terms of just seeing the way things are done a little bit differently sometimes. And in China, it was a really good experience because we had around 15 international coaches. So we had 
coaches from Belgium. We had Spanish coaches. We had English coaches. So kind of learning the different styles and different ideas from them. Like especially the Belgian coaches were pretty impressive. So it's, it's great to learn from those guys. And then also the, the coaches in the countries. So sometimes you might think certain coaches don't have like the background and their licenses, depending where they're from, like AFC or CAF or UEFA. You think you kind of have preconceived ideas, which isn't always right. Because sometimes coaches might not always have the best knowledge in certain things, but they get buy-in because their personality, they can engage people, they're enthusiastic. So it kind of just shows that it's not just all about your your qualifications and your theoretical knowledge. It's about connecting with people and being a figurehead for a group in terms of your personality, the drive on engagement and the drive on performance as well. Mm. So what, what would you say some of the, you know, if you, you had to think back and to all those individuals that you've got, you know, you've got in your mind now, what, what would you say is the biggest messages that you kind of kind of take away and think, do you know what, that's really stuck with me? Well, I'd say the biggest one in my head is probably Miksu Patalainen, who used to be the Dundee United head coach. So he was my head coach in Ubon in Thailand. And he was just the nicest man you could ever meet. Like any time we met, he couldn't give up enough time for you. Like sometimes I was almost trying to get away because I had to go and do something, but he just wanted to keep on chatting. So it was just, like, he came across as such a nice, humble, humble man. And that's kind of stuck with me is that's the kind of person that you want to be. Because sometimes you get head coaches at clubs and they're a bit distant. They kind of will say, well, I'm the head coach. Kind of don't come near me. You have to go for the assistant or whatever. So that was kind of nice to see. And even one game, he was he was suspended and he was sitting in the stand. And during the game, he was kind of I was sitting one seat away from him. He was kind of talking me through the game, what they've been working on and things and what he's seen in the game. And that was just a really good insight to see how people... We can all watch 22 players in the field or whatever, but depending on your experiences, depending on your background, coaches will see different things. Mm. You know, I just want to take you back to your own your own philosophy. Then, you know, you talked there initially at the start how your philosophy was very much um, influenced initially by the coaches that you'd, you'd been uh, coached by and had experience with in that it was very much need-centred and, you know, you had coaches wanting to play you know, possession-based football and whatnot. Would you mind just going into a bit of detail around the fundamentals of your own philosophy from a coaching perspective um, initially and obviously moving on to the playing perspective after that? So, you know, what are the key standout things that wherever you go, that these are things that are a mainstay in the way you work? Yeah, well, I suppose initially it's getting that connection with the players because you can try and tell people whatever you want, but if you haven't developed that connection with them and understanding of who they are, then it's very difficult to get to get the message across even in terms of like diff- working in different countries. like A lot of the players haven't spoken English at times, so we've had to think of different ideas and rethink the way we communicate. So, for example, like my first weekend in Thailand, I'm standing beside the pitch in the technical area. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
and of the stadium. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, like, why am I standing here? I can't communicate with them. I can't communicate. They can't communicate with me. So what we did was we developed trigger words. So that was beneficial even for people that don't even speak the same people, for people who do speak the same language. You're just having clear and concise mm. communication, having that common language that everyone understands, and then kind of having buzzwords that work for each individual in terms of their role. So like one of the professional players I worked with, he wasn't in the team because he kind of wasn't doing what the head coach wanted. So we developed a performance plan and it linked to key words that the head coach wanted from him in terms of like movement, intensity, and then getting into certain areas of the box to try and attack the ball from crosses. So it's kind of different ideas in terms of, sort of connecting with the individuals, different ways we could communicate and develop that common language. And then in terms of the football side of things, just trying to drive the performance in terms of what style of play we want in terms of playing from the back, playing through the thirds and just having a coherent style so everyone's kind of on the same wavelength and everyone buys into kind of what the identity is because they they believe what we're doing is not necessarily different from in the places that we've been, but it kind of makes us unique and they buy in and believe in kind of the style of play and the vision of what we're trying to achieve with whichever whichever team it is. But I suppose that's the best way best way we can break it down. Definitely. Then you, you talk there about the communication part and using buzzwords and yeah, it kind of really brings me back to an experience of my own where I, I really, it really hit me how important this communication bit is uh, more more specifically and you're working with players from different cultures and different backgrounds and with the language barriers and whatnot. And I was working with a group of players about three, four years ago where um, quite quite a diverse bunch really had a, you know, a few uh Spanish speaking, but from different countries, some from South America, from some from native Spain, um, you know, some French speaking again across the world. Uh, some people speaking, you know, from East Africa, some people from North Africa and whatnot, and all speaking different languages. And I remember this one particular time where uh, we had these three guys, French speaking lads, all from different countries, but uh, one of them could speak pretty much fluent English and obviously French, and the other ones were, you know, one of them was, you know, basic English, and the other one had didn't have a clue um now i just remember having to use the player that could actually speak fluent english and french to kind of translate some of the messages that i wanted to get across and then it hit me you know what, what would i do if this player wasn't here how, how would i navigate myself in this situation then then you know, at that point i just started to similar what you said there really start to create some sort of common language um that would be utilizing the environment um even to the extent of maybe looking at some of the, you know, getting myself a translator or a, an interpreter um, and a tutor for myself to, you know, to kind of help them understand exactly what messages I'm trying to communicate and what the best ways might be to break these down to people from these different, uh, these different countries. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big challenge, uh, isn't it? Like for me, sometimes my translator would go missing. So I'd be standing in front of a group of 25 players. Not one of them can speak English. My tie was quite limited at the time, so I had to be creative in ways of doing it. And it's funny, like initially when you're working with a new group of players, it's practically impossible because they don't know what you want. But see, after you work with them for a number of months, like towards the end, I didn't need a translator because I could say the key words. We can demonstrate things within our practice yeah. and they understand yeah. what you're looking for because you've been drilling it for the last number of months. So they know exactly what kind of things you're looking for. So it's almost you don't need a translator at the end. And even like we're playing away, this away game, translator's not there. I'm trying to talk to the goalkeeper, coach and tie. I'm having an absolute nightmare. He doesn't have a clue what I'm saying. So I just get a set of cones out on the floor. And I start moving them around and they were starting to recognise the things because they're working on it and training during the week. 
and then the leaders within the group would start spreading the message to the younger players and then they kind of be interacting with one another. And also as well, making some of the translators you said there, giving them that bit of responsibility can actually take them to the next level as well. So it can be a bit of a motivation tool for them. Mm. You know, just kind of talking about motivation then, you know, uh, again, you've been, you know, had various experiences traveling from country to country and, you know, and hopefully you're going to have a long career ahead of you as well. What, what, what helps to keep you motivated and inspired to keep going and, you know, trying to get to that next level and be the best coach you can be in? Well, it's a combination of things. So number one, like I'm really passionate about the theoretical side, like in terms of my studies and things. I wasn't very good in school, but as soon as I started doing degrees in sports science and things were linked to sport, then my curiosity started to grow. And I just love reading, especially around the psychological side. I love developing models. Like I'm a very structured person. So like recently I've been developing a model for coaches. I've developed models for players of just different ideas that we can we can influence and Inter, intervene with them and as I've been working with professional players and head coaches trying to embed these ideas but so I love that side of it I love having structure I love developing my documents because and it's interesting as well because I talk to a lot of head coaches about certain things and they, they're doing a lot of this intuitively but I just feel that if you've got a structure in place then you can make it more consistent and you can get a clear idea of exactly the kind of mm. things you're looking for from each player so having that structure I love developing content just because it feels it's, it's satisfying to me I feel like I'm doing good work when I'm developing content and then projects like these ones in Asia, like you can make such a bigger difference because a lot of these kids are coming from nothing. So if you're helping them get an education, if you're visiting people in hospital after road accidents, you're renovating your truck to give them a safe way to get to the field. Like some things are more important than football sometimes. So it's kind of the, the bigger impact that you can make and also in the community as well. So these kind of things drive me. It's and also the, the traveling aspect of it as well. Like whenever I hear about rules in certain countries, like one of my mates calls me, Blaine, I need you to come and do this. Like I'll be there without a doubt because it's just so, it just excites me thinking about different countries, trying to help people make difference. Because a lot of these kids don't have the same opportunities as they do in different countries. So providing them with these opportunities to help them in all areas of life, not just football as well. That's something that really drives me. And it's, it's, it's just really exciting, man. It really is exciting. And, you know, kind of just on that, you know, you, you, you know, everything you touch on, it seems to come back to this, um, this personal, personal piece around, you know, really having compassion, empathy for the individual and really just connecting with the people. And it, it goes beyond football. And you're definitely right on that, on that side of things. And, it, you know, that is, it, it's a, it's definitely something that I feel like coaches should be taking on board. I think quite often, especially when early in their journeys, coaches probably don't appreciate how important that aspect is. You know, so in line with that, you know, some of the frustrations that might come might be because of a lack of attention paid to those sorts of things. Um, and, you know, through your experience, you know, you've probably seen a lot of different coaches from, you know, different types and different cultures specifically. What would you say are some of the biggest bugbears for you when it comes to coaching then? Well, for me, one of the biggest bugbears when I was coming through as a young coach was that coaching isn't a real career. So I'm in university, sports science. Who wants to be a PE teacher? Everyone's hand goes up. So it's more like PE teaching seen as more of a career than coaching is because you kind of see people on TV. You mm. see your Mourinho's, you see your whichever head coach you want to look at and you think, well, that's miles away. That's not a realistic pathway for someone. It's like, how do you get there? What's the, where are the ladder steps in between to get to that level? And that's kind of where I feel in the modern day social media and things. It, social media gives you accessible role models before when you see people on TV. 
that's not necessarily realistic in terms of how you get there. But you see people that are kind of making their way up from a young age and you can watch their journey. You can replicate it more so. And that's that's inspiring as well in terms of just helping people realize that it is a real career. You can travel the world. You can have a good time. It's not easy. Like It's a really, really tough job. You have to be a bit different to be a coach, like the hours we work and some of the things you have to go through. But that's kind of my biggest bugbear, honestly. And then maybe another one as well is that people think that they can just lift up development models and plant them in different countries and that they think it's going to work. So if someone wins the World mm-hmm. Cup, okay, let's go and deliver that around around the world without understanding that the, the system there and things are different and it might not necessarily work. So I suppose they're two of the, two of the main ones for me. Definitely. Just on that, you know, that last piece there around the model and trying to uplift that model and put, you know, implement it elsewhere. I think the same applies to just coaching sessions and training sessions in general. I think I've got a lot of coaches... I think we've all been there. We've looked at another session. Oh, that looks really good. You know, I'm going to go and try that. And it doesn't quite work out the way you you hoped. And I think it's really important that coaches do take note of that and understand that, yes, this practice might be used elsewhere. However, you need to understand the mechanics and the intricacies that go into planning that practice for the group of players that are in yeah, front of you. I suppose, uh, I suppose as well, the coach has to look at themselves sure. because you can go in a different country and deliver the session and blame the players right away because it works so well in the other country. But you've got to understand where these players are coming from. Like, for example, if you go into a team in Thailand and start asking questions right away or in China, you're going to be met with silence because in the classroom, they're sat 40 people. The teacher talks, no one else talks. And that's kind of the way they've been educated from a young age. And getting them to speak, open their minds, new ideas, it's not going to work initially. But over time, it does. Once you open their minds up and see the way this works, they enjoy the process more. And yes, that's I mean, that's quite quite important for me. Definitely, you know, you talked there about some of the challenges that might the players might be facing there in terms of you know this the education system or as coaches, especially going down the need centre approach, is much more about getting uh, the input from the players in that respect to find out exactly where they're at on their journeys and how we can best facilitate their development. You know, you know, just in line with that, then you know, if we look at your own coaching journey what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced? Obviously, you know, you've talked there about moving from country to country, some of the language uh, communication barriers that you've had at times. You know, outside of those, is there been any other major challenges that you've had to face and you felt that, you know what, it's done really well to overcome that and maybe go into a bit of detail about how you've achieved that or it might be something that you're facing now? Um, that's a, I suppose I've touched, touched on those quite a bit in terms of the language and the cultural barriers are the biggest ones, but, and, Outside of that, like being alone is, is one of the bigger challenges of kind of working abroad. You have to kind of find mechanisms and way of working with that. And for me, like one of the biggest things is picking the place you live. Like before I would have gone anywhere, but now I'm much more selective in terms of the countries I go to because I've lived in places where the pollution so bad. I ended up in the hospital, my throat closed. I couldn't eat, I couldn't drink. I was Googling how many days you survive. So I kind of realized that things, some things are more important than football sometimes. When I set off, I go anywhere, I do anything because I was 100% career orientated. Whereas now I see things a bit differently. I see the bigger picture. I see the future a bit better because I've got an understanding of how the world works. So for me, I kind of see the world in a different way now. And I'd make different decisions based on certain places to live. Like right now I'm in Phuket. It's got beautiful beaches. The air quality is good. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. So that can kind of help me cope away from coaching and things because I've got a nice environment around me. Like environment's everything. 
I've lived in some places that are dark and dingy, and it's just what it does for your for yourself and your well being. It's not it's not good. So you've got to think about the the environment you live. That's kind of key for me, and that your career isn't everything. Because when Christmas comes around, you're by yourself. Like it's it's quite it's quite sad sometimes, and especially like last week, I had a motorbike accident. And there's a couple of things that come into this. So I'm lying at the side of the road. My eyesight's going blurry. Like my arm and shoulder wrecked. My legs wrecked. This Thai lady comes over to me. She starts cleaning my wounds. She can't speak English. I'm trying to speak to her in Thai. She's cleaning my wounds. She's putting a pillow under my head. And yeah, it's, it's just crazy. And then people kind of come together to help you. And it's just such an uplifting thing. Obviously, it's a terrible thing to go through. I'm very fortunate that I'm not too... I could have been a lot worse because statistics in these roads, second most dangerous roads in the world. It's absolutely incredible. So I'm very, very fortunate. But kind of seeing that lady come to my aid, like it's really heartwarming how kind people are out there. And I'm not sure if I answered your question. I'm kind of going around in circles here. But yeah, hopefully that answers, answers a part of it. <laughs> no, definitely. I think it's just important, you know, and I think it's really good for us to kind of see uh, some of the appreciations we do have as individuals and some of the things that we sometimes often take for granted. And, um, it, you know, little things like the experience that you you talked about there certainly kind of maybe restore your faith in certain things that are going on despite everything else that's happening in the world. Um, you know, kind of just to kind of build on that then, you know, what if you look you look back at what, something that you just said there, you know, at the start of your journey, you're very much career orientated and you've just jumped into anything and just gone with it because it looked like it was an experience worth taking. And now you're a bit more, I guess, uh, careful shall we say or um you filter out maybe what's best and what's not best for you based on your current circumstances you know if you could go back to when you first started your journey now and have and, and talk to yourself at that point there what would you what would be a message that you'd want to give yourself and you know based on what you know now well, one of the key right? things is just dream dream big because if you had told me what i would have achieved the things i would have done across the past five six years like back then i wouldn't have believed you and my goal was to coach in five countries. And I've completely smashed that. I've completely surpassed that. And some of the things that I've seen, like it's just, and the key thing I think is it's about helping people because I like to help people. And because I do that, opportunities have come up. So for example, I became academy director at a top flight club because one year earlier, I helped a physio with his A license coursework and I didn't ask for anything in return. I just helped him. One year later, he recommends the first team staff hire me. When I was in New Zealand, I started a PhD there in life skills. And when I was there, I offered to go and observe this coach and help him. And I, I had no idea who this coach was. And I'd stand out there in the rain, in the snow, and I'd stand there helping him, giving so much feedback. And little did I know that this guy was a major, he was a major player. Like he's, he's developed an app that's used around the world. And he's got incredible network, incredible, incredible contacts. And now he, he during COVID, he, called me and I flew over to him and I stayed with him in Christchurch so he looked after me during COVID and now we're working on a project together so it's kind of just that you help people and then obviously that makes you feel good but then long term it's going to come back to help you and even this week I've been having calls with people that I've worked with in the past or I've tried to help and opportunities are coming up so it's just basically trying to educate yourself as best as possible trying to be your best but then trying to help people along the way trying to inspire people Try and do anything you can to help people. I get multiple messages on social media every day. If someone asks a decent question, I'll always respond. And it's kind of just basically just help help people and dream big because you don't know what's possible. Like some of the things that have happened to me, you just wouldn't, I would never have dreamed of it a couple of years ago. 
you talk there about education, you know, you, you touched on right at the start of the conversation, you have got a UEFA license. What was that journey like, you know, going through the B and then the A? What, yeah, I did that with the Irish, Irish Football Association, so that was quite interesting. So I started my A license. Well, I, did, I did my B license quite a while ago, so I did my B license when I was studying. And getting my A license done from abroad was really, really difficult because I had the kind of, especially the way the Asian season runs because the... The courses in Europe are obviously run in the European season, so they're in June or July or whatever, whenever the season the season isn't on, whereas that's middle of the season in Asia. So I had to try and prep prep my assistant and my translator to try and run pre-season training and things for us. So that was that was quite difficult. And then obviously you've got the additional expenditure of having to fly halfway across the world to your courses and try and make it fit in with your job. So it was a big it's a big challenge doing it. But it was well, well worth it because it unlocks different different doors just takes you to kind of add to that next level but it was, it was a great experience as well the people you meet on the course yeah. and the opportunities that can come from that and even just talking to them as well talking to Ricardo Carvalho asking them about Jose Mourinho Thiago as well Stephen Pienaar played for Everton Julian Lescott like there was a host of top players that won big trophies and it's just interesting listening to them and hearing their experiences from a different angle because obviously I've not not been through that myself so it's always interesting to, to hear what they've got to say Mm. What were your biggest takeaways from the UEFA license? You know, obviously the highest, you know, core, core coaching qualification there is, you know, be, uh, in terms of actual technical on the pitch stuff. What were your major takeaways from that? And you know, how did that then, following that journey, how did that start to shape some of the things that you? Went yeah, well, obviously, that? obviously that's massive. Like coach, coach education is great, but like the biggest lessons are from the people on the course rather than actually the course itself because obviously a lot of it's X and O's X's and O's it was good the way there was a bit more psychology content on it but for me like the biggest learning experiences are trying to put things in the practice in the practice yourself watching other people's sessions discussions with people so the A license is good because it can get you into better environments so you can learn better and you can develop more as a coach but from the coach from the course itself it was a couple of years ago now so it's kind of those are the kind of main things that come to mind in terms of obviously it's very heavy in the tech tech. You learn about different systems and ideas, but the biggest lessons and takeaways are from the people on the course and the connections you make because obviously coach education is so much, well, your education as a coach is so much more than just doing those courses because they make up such a small part of your journey. Mm. So kind of just coming back to, you know, where you are now and, you know, how things are progressing talk there about you know some of the countries that you worked in you're currently overseas at the moment away from you know your, your native island What's next that's week? a great a great question and it's funny as well because i mean i'm here at the minute i'm doing a bit of coaching part-time i'm working with players and coaches online so i'm trying to build that up so that i've got a kind of a, a base that i can work online so i can kind of live anywhere in the world i'm working with different players and things but like there's only one more project left in me somewhere and i was Having all these conversations with the players, obviously it's good because I want to talk about different ideas and things. I can trial my methodology and get their insight and see how it helps them as players. But then also I can build things up myself and it also creates opportunities. So I'm talking to these people. I'm kind of offering a different insight because a lot of them, especially as players and things, they haven't come from the same academic background as me. They haven't had the same type of experiences. So then I can add something different that supplements what they do then they might want to bring me on board. So I've obviously I've had chats with some people and they've inquired about maybe coming as assistant as a 
in a top flight in different countries and talking to technical directors of how to come in and help federations and things. So kind of the more I talk to different people just about different ideas and that stimulates me and excites me as part of my motivation as well, that when you have these conversations, ideas pop up, opportunities pop up. So you kind of never know what the future holds. And that's kind of the, the thing. You can have ideas in mind of what you think the future looks like and things, but it's never going to pan out that way. Like Especially one of the key aspects of goal setting is you've got to con- mm. continually reevaluate and live in the moment as well because when I was younger I was always thinking about okay I want to get here by this age I want to do this but in reality you got to live in the moment because you're always thinking about the future and what the future brings and you're not going to enjoy what you're doing right now and that's a key thing for me because for many years I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing then and I was thinking about something in the future that excited me but you can't do that forever and it's one of the biggest lessons as well is that time flies like I can't believe how long I've been abroad and the things that have happened so it's it's just important to live in the moment. So have your goals and direction you're heading in, but then enjoy the present moment because you never know when it's going to end. Brilliant. You know, just kind of as we start to kind of wind down then, you know, on, on that. Well, in addition to that, you talk there about living in the present moment and, you know, really soak up what you're going through at this stage in time and really seek to value that experience almost. What would you say is, you know, if I gave you 60 seconds now to kind of wrap up a golden nugget for some of the listeners? Um, well, I can go two ways of this in terms of educationally and in terms of just enjoying life. Like, I go to the beach every morning. I switch off my phone. I, I don't bring my phone with me because that's one of the key things. You spend so much time looking at your phone in the modern day and it's it doesn't really matter what's happening on there. Like, there's some good things happening you can learn from or whatever, but it's important to be in that moment. But the key thing as well is to connect, to connect with other people and develop relationships because you need that support you need those ideas to try and develop yourself and try and just observe the people around you put yourself surround yourself with good people and ones that have a different skill set to you because we kind of become factors of the environment of the people we're around and uh, you see that sometimes in different environments you go into i went into an environment recently and there's such a blame culture like oh this is wrong this this is nothing nothing's right and you can kind of get into that mindset where you can have the solution mindset. So you see a problem and then you think of a solution and try and surround yourself with people that think like that or maybe even people that think on a different level than you so you can kind of develop yourself. So it's kind of switch off from the outside world. Sometimes relax, do things that make you happy. But then whenever you're tuned into something, have your daily tasks, know exactly where you're going and then get yourself surrounded. Or if you can't surround yourself with good people, then try and organize chats with people and kind of just work work from there but hopefully that gives some sort of idea of going around in circles a bit mm. so Blaine you know obviously still kind of you know looking at where that journey may take you next um, don't want to wish your career away however you know when you do eventually get to the back end of your journey and you're looking at maybe put you know putting coaching aside or however that may come what would you want your legacy I just want to, to try and like when I was growing up like one of the biggest issues for me was like psychologically I wasn't great and people couldn't help me so obviously this isn't in terms of legacy but I kind of want to give something to people that they've not had before and try and help them so then it can help them across different different areas and contexts of life so kind of in terms of legacy I just want to be known as someone that tried to help people because life's tough enough like you don't need people to try and bring you down all the time people try to talk nonsense about you which goes on way too much I just want to try and be someone that was known for being peaceful and helping the people around them and did everything you can to help people because for me that's the most that's the most important thing because 
we're not going to be around forever. But if you can leave that with someone in terms of being a good person and they help other people, then that kind of kindness and information and knowledge will spread. And that's kind of something for me that's important and sparking interest in certain things in different areas that can kind of help people to go on to achieve success in life and then help people around them in turn. Fantastic. Uh, Blake, look, it's a lot, a lot of interesting pieces that you've covered across the last hour or so. Just curious now, I know if, if the listeners had any questions or they wanted to get in touch with you uh, to discuss either any of the things that we've touched on in this conversation or beyond. Yeah, my DMs are open on, on Twitter. So Blaine McKenna, 77. And I'm happy to answer any questions on there. I always take time. If you ask a good question, I don't respond to someone says, hi, or hi, how are you? If you ask a decent question, I always get back to you. Well, there you have it, guys. It's another edition of the Coaches Network Insight Series, where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world, hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential. I've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. The support is much appreciated. Please do get in touch with us and today's guests. Let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, views and key takeaways from today's show, along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed. Ultimately, guys, the show is about yourselves. The content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content. On that note, get in touch with us on Instagram at The Coaches Network and on Twitter at The Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at FocusBXN. Lastly, guys, keep an eye on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.